It's good to be back before you again this evening. Appreciate your presence. If you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. We especially have the Garlands with us tonight. We're very thankful for them coming our way. And of course, I think most of you know them. But it's good to have them with us. You know, we can go through the scriptures and we can just list by the dozens many reasons why Christ came to this earth and to die for the sins of man. Because when we look at one area, it'll take us to another. And God, loving mankind as he does, wanted to provide a way of salvation. After Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden, that broke the relationship that man had with God as God would have it. And therefore, there needed to be a way of reconciliation back to God. And by providing that way, God shows his great love for us. And as we know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That talks about the great love that God has for us. And oftentimes we may wonder why God would love us as he does, looking at humanity and looking at the way that we are. You would ask yourself, well, why would God even care? Because of the sin in the world, and uh, as we looked at in class this morning, or our sermon this morning, dealing with um, the ark and the church, and looking, if you go back and you read in that early stage of Genesis there, how man had sinned against God, got to the point to where God decided to destroy the whole world. That's bad. That's getting to the point that, you know, something had to be done. But yet, through all of that, God still loved us. And at the right time, Christ came into this world to die on the cross so that we could have that opportunity for reconciliation. There are those who, and many people in the world, misunderstand the scheme of redemption, the plan of redemption, and all that is involved in that toward man and God's relationship. So when we look at why Christ came to this earth, we can look at many reasons. We're going to look at a few this evening, although we don't have time enough to go into a lot of them. We will look at a couple that will help us to understand why Christ died for our sins. But before we get to that point, we're going to look at some reasons and some things that Christ did not die for. You can look in the world of religion, you can look at the different beliefs and the different practices that are in the world today, and especially in the Eastern religions, they number in the dozens. The different religions and people follow them, sometimes never even knowing the true Savior of mankind. They've been taught certain things and they continue to believe that and they'll go to their graves believing what they've been taught. There are those who seek out their own path, wanting to be enlightened, wanting to find the true way, and yet oftentimes they get farther and farther away from the truth. But there is only one truth, and that's God's truth. One thing that we see in the world today is a neglect for God's word. It is interesting how people claim to follow God's word, but yet neglect the truth of it. You would not think that such false religions would have such a hold on people, such as Catholicism, Islam. But yet, it is just the way of man. 
Jesus talked about a broad way and he talked about a narrow way. And that being because there are only two ways for man. The narrow way represents the truth because that straight, when he talked about a straight way, he was talking about a difficult way. Most people do not want to follow a difficult way. We've been raised in this country, for the most part, to look at the things of enjoyment, things that make our lives easier. And we get to the point where we don't want to put out the effort to really study and to know God's Word. We don't want to have to go through a set of rules or regulations, as some people call them today. That's why a lot of people do not serve God, is because they don't want to live a life of restriction. But you know we all live a life of restriction. Because we cannot just go out and do what we want to. We've got laws that we have to obey. We can't just do what we want to do, although some people think they can and they try it. Brother Cooper is very aware of that. But when it comes to God's Word, people should be more attentive. They should understand that God's Word is different than anything else in the world. And there should be more respect and more reverence for the Word of God. But we don't have that as we should. What will it take to cause people to stop and think about the truth? Well, when we study the life of Christ and we study the cross on Calvary, the event that took place there, it should cause us to really think about the truth in following God's word. You know, oftentimes we do personal work evangelism. We get frustrated. We get discouraged because nobody listens. But then I stop and think how many people spoke to Jesus face to face and then turned around and rejected what he had to say. So if they rejected our Lord and Savior, what makes me think that they're going to listen to what I say? And Paul addressed that in Romans 10, talking about not all have obeyed the gospel. But yet we look at the fact that Christ went to that cross, and, and sometimes we don't really think about, because we weren't there, we don't really think about all that was involved in that. The point that he was physically abused before he ever got to the cross. So when we look at the cross of Calvary, we can see both sides. We can see what Christ died for and what Christ didn't die for. One thing that Christ didn't die for was the fact to allow man to live his life as he chooses and still have heaven as his eternal destiny. Jesus didn't do that. Universalism says that's the case. Universalism says that you can believe whatever you want and at the end God's just going to open the gates of heaven and just let everybody in. Well, we know that's not what the Bible teaches. We look at what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21. He said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but, notice the but there. He gives a condition. He gives a qualification. But those that do the will of the Father. That tells us right there that not everybody's going to go to heaven. That there will be those that are lost. And, of course, that's not the only place. We look through the whole Bible and we can find how that God has warned man continually about falling away from the truth and being condemned in the end. To take the view or the idea or the belief that man can do whatever he wants and still expect to go to heaven denies the Holy Scriptures. 
from Genesis to Revelation. In Hebrews 5, 9, we see how the Hebrews writer said that those who obey Christ allow Christ to become their author of eternal salvation. He becomes the author of eternal salvation unto whom? All those that obey him. Well, naturally, and just common sense-wise, tells us that there's another side of that. Those who don't obey Christ, he is not going to be the author of eternal salvation for them. That's just common sense. We are not unfamiliar with opposites. I remember, and I, I guess it was, and I, and I never was one much for kid stories and fairy tales and things like that, but... If I'm not mistaken, there was an a animal that Dr. Doolittle had. It's called a push-me-pull-me. Me. I don't know if somebody might want to correct me on that if I'm, if I'm wrong, but I recall it being like a llama. <laughs> you know, two heads, one going this way and one going that way, so it's got to push-me-pull-me. Me. We're familiar with that. You've got an opposite. You've got one side and you've got the other side. So we see that in Hebrews 5, 9, the author makes it very clear that the only people that can have or claim Christ to be their author of eternal salvation are those who obey. So Jesus didn't die on the cross so that man could live as he chooses and still have eternal life. Another thing that Jesus did not die for was the right for man to change God's word. And especially the gospel message. It is a case that many people think that you read the scriptures however you understand that, that's okay. Well, it's not okay with God. How many times do we read in scriptures, uh, scripture the fact that there's, there are warnings that talk about changing God's word? The Israelites, Deuteronomy 4.2, were commanded not to change God's word, not to add to God's word. Revelation 22, verses 18 and 19 says the same thing, not to add to or take away from the Word of God. And yet, if you get several opinions or ideas about what the Bible says, they can't all be true unless they're all in harmony with God's Word in one way or another. But when you have opposites, Mr. Jones says that this verse teaches this, and Mr. Smith says this, this verse teaches this, and they're in total opposition. They can't both be right. They can both be wrong, but they both can't be right. You know, when the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians, in Galatians 1, and as he says, he marveled, or he was amazed, or he was surprised at the point that some of them had started following something different other than what they had received from him. And I can understand how he could be surprised because even after reading through the scriptures and seeing how that change took place even in the first century and being in this world long enough and being a member of the church long enough, I still get amazed at some of our brethren who change things. Shouldn't be. You know, the whole thing, we shouldn't be surprised at anything anymore because, there's, as Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. But when Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians, he says that he marveled that they had gone away from what they had been taught. 
I know of people who have been members of the Lord's Church for years and been with sound congregations who now are no longer with sound congregations. It, it is surprising. But one thing that Paul says here about what man will do to God's Word, if you have your Bibles, if you want to open them to Galatians, the uh, first chapter, as I already mentioned, the fact that Paul's attitude toward them or his uh, situation dealing with the fact that they had moved away from the truth and started paying attention to another gospel, which he says is not another gospel. But look at verse 7. He says, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel. There are those who pervert the gospel. Now, Jesus didn't die so people could take God's word and the things that he taught while he was on this earth and just change it. Yet, many people think that that's okay because Jesus is love. God is love, and if you don't get it just right, that's okay. Well, I don't, I don't get that when I read the scriptures. Second John, verses 9 through 11. And of course, John dealing with a specific issue at that time when he talked about the doctrine of Christ. And earlier this year, we dealing with Second John, First, second, third John, and Preston teaching lessons on that. And we looked at that and looked at the context of that, the fact that there were those that were teaching that Jesus had not come in the flesh. So what did John say? What did John write through inspiration of the Holy Spirit? Well, he talked about those that do not have the doctrine of Christ. Now and a lot of times you can take these things and connect them with the fact of what I mentioned on the first point that, you know, Jesus didn't die so that man could live his life away from God. And we can connect it to a lot of these points. But in Second John, beginning in verse 9, going through 11, John says, Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of God hath not God. You know, that's not a very difficult statement. The person that doesn't stick with the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of God, they don't have God. Why? Because they've gone opposite. They've gone away from the truth. You cannot go and have fellowship with God if you're going away from the truth. But he goes on to say, He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine... Receive him not into your house, nor bid him God speak. Why? You know, and a lot of people think, you know, it's okay. Well, they may not teach the exact same thing we do, but we can go have fellowship with them. We can tell them good job, and we can contribute to their cause or whatever. You know? And I know that even members of the church sometimes get caught up in that because they feel guilty if they're not contributing to a good cause. Well, that just comes from a lack of knowledge. We can have all the fellowship we want with people, basically in a general way, but not in a spiritual way. Amen. And oftentimes, not having or being able to have fellowship in a spiritual way is going to dictate what kind of relationship I have with them in everyday life. 
But yet John here says that we're not even to bid them Godspeed. In other words, good job. I hope things go well for you. You know, here, can, can I do anything to help you out with that? John says that when we do that, we are partakers of their evil deeds. But Jesus did not die so that people could change God's word and live the way they want to. And it really does get back to the fact that nobody wants to be told how to run their lives. People don't want someone else telling them that they're doing wrong, that they're not following God's word. They don't want to hear that. So they put up a wall of defense. But we see here that Jesus died for the truth. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Man does not have the right to change what God has revealed, but yet it has been done. We can look at the different versions of the Bible on the market today and look at the changes that have taken place. Man does not have that right. Also, Jesus did not die so that man or so that he could worship God just any way that he chose or chooses to do. You can go back and you can study the different religions and, and I know that in, in college courses or in in other words, when you go to college to, to uh, get your college degree, a lot of times you have to take a class called World Religions, and you can learn things that you never knew about World Religions. And we know that the Bible talks about paganism. We know that there were different things done in paganism that were not only against God's Word, but were very, very perverted. Offering your own children to a God. Sacrificing your own children to a God. That's hard for us to understand. But today people might say, well, you know, I would never go to that extreme. But when they're not worshiping according to God's word, it doesn't matter. They're not worshiping according to the word. It's the bottom line. In Matthew, the 15th chapter, verse 9, as Jesus talked about, type of worship and he said but in vain do they worship me you know a useless way a way vain that's what that means you know when I was growing up it was nothing to hear the statement do not take the Lord's name in vain and as a young child I, I knew what that was because I heard people do that but I thought it was for that particular phrase only where they used the Lord's name in, in a, uh, with profanity but really, when you study it and understand it, it means in any empty way. We have people today who use God's name in vain, and they don't even realize it. And it's not in the, the profane words like street language, like cussing. That's not what I'm talking about. But when you use words like, oh, my God, in, the, in that way, like a lot of people do, now they've abbreviated it, OMG. That is taking the Lord's name in vain because they're using it in a useless way, an empty way. Therefore, they do not understand what true worship is. They worship in vain, an empty way, because God does not accept unauthorized worship. We see throughout the scriptures 
that God has always given man the instructions for worship. And we're to follow that. Now, there are a lot of people who say, well, the Bible doesn't say I can't do this. And it doesn't say I can't do that. Well, that's really short-sighted because what they're trying to do is justify what they do. Rather than stopping and going, well, you know, and common sense tells you, you don't have to point out everything word for word, do you? Did your mother or dad do that when you were growing up? Or did you understand some things? You know, when your mom or your daddy said, you, go, you can go over to Jimmy's house, did they have to tell you not to go, well, you can't go here and you can't go there and you can't? No, when they told you, yes, you can go over there, if your parents had taught you right, you understood. You didn't have to have it told to you every time where you could not go. They tell you where to go. They tell you what to do. We understand that. But when it comes to religion, people don't want to hear that. They do not apply the same rules of interpretation. And even today, we've got those who are crying out for a new interpretation so they can do what they want, especially in the area of mechanical instruments. My son was telling me of a congregation that uh, just recently employed some instruments and said their elders got together and discussed it and all, and they couldn't find anything against it. I'm thinking, but where's the authority for it? The Bible doesn't address every issue in life by word. You know, I mean, I'd, I'd hate to try to carry a Bible around. I, you know, we'd have to have a forklift to carry a Bible that big. But God didn't have to do it that way. And yet, they say, well, I can't find anything wrong with it. And people do that in their own lives. If you talk about drinking or anything, well, I can't find anything wrong with it. Well, you're not looking correctly and you're not looking in the right spot. But we see that man tries to worship and does worship God any way that he chooses. Authority does not matter anymore. Well, under the law of Christ now, right? Under the law of liberty, under the law of love, there are no rules, there are no commandments. Now, you would think that, that a person would never make a statement like that, but I have seen it. And then I go, well, didn't Jesus say, if you love me, keep my commandments? Now, Jesus tells us there's commandments to keep. I don't have to, to wonder whether there are or not. I don't have to ask somebody if there are or not commandments. Jesus told me there are, there are commandments that, that must be kept. But he goes on to say, Matthew 15, 9, that they worship in vain, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Recently, have become acquainted with a young man that's a Catholic. And uh, just general conversation, he talked about Lent. And in a period of Lent, in Catholicism, you're supposed to give up something for so many days. And I'm thinking, I, I'd like to find that in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. It was something made up by man that has been put on the people as something to follow. And yet, Jesus was right when he says, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Now, there are a lot of other things that we could look at that Jesus did not die for, but in our time remaining, we're going to look at a few that are very important, nothing new. But as I get older and 
my memory's not as good. I have to be reminded of certain things. And Peter even said, I write that, and I put you in remembrance. Why? Because it's easy for us to forget. Of course, you know, when people talk about these things, I wouldn't forget that. We don't forget some things, some things that are very important. But just to bring out a few, Jesus died so that all men would have the opportunity for eternal life. In Titus, the second chapter, in verse 11, what did Paul say? For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. Showing that the opportunity has been presented to man by God to have eternal life. And Jesus said, I am, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. John 10.10 10. As I mentioned this morning, the 8th chapter of John deals with a lot of I am's. The book of John is a wonderful book and a lot that Jesus had said and recorded. Uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9 and 10, great chapters. The whole book is really. But we see Jesus informing us, telling us who he is and why he is here. He died so that we could have that opportunity. As I started out this sermon talking about God and how he loves us and made a way of reconciliation, it's just hard to imagine how God loves us and as his children can forgive us because we live lives that are oftentimes less than what God would have them, even though we're trying. But that's why we have the blood of Christ to cleanse us of our sins. Because God knows that we're going to sin. And we need our sins taken away. First John is a great chapter on that. Another reason Jesus died was to carry out God's will. Remember Matthew 7, 21? He that doeth the will of my Father. So God has a will. You know, how many times have you heard people say, Well, I know God's got a plan for my life. Yes, it is. It's called obeying the gospel. Now, God can use people. He can providentially make things uh, happen good in a person's life. But the only thing that I know of that the Bible teaches for a person's life or a plan for a person's life is to become a Christian and live faithfully. But Jesus died to carry out that will. If you have your Bibles, turn to John, the sixth chapter. And Jesus in the humble spirit that he had several times talked about that he was doing God's will he wasn't doing his he wasn't trying to uh, tell people that he was above God but he didn't have to to make the Jews mad all he had to do was say he was a son of God and boy the Jews really got mad they thought that he was putting himself on the the equal plane with God, which we know that Jesus is part of the Godhead, but they really had trouble with that. But when we look at what is recorded for us in John 6, beginning in verse 38, he says, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. 
And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus tells us that he came to do the Father's will and not his own. And then the last point I want to make this evening, Jesus died to destroy the works of Satan. Which is one, if you could think of a way to help destroy the works of Satan, what would you come up with? How about just obeying God? Well, that is one of the easiest ways to destroy the works of Satan. Why? Because if you're not obeying God, if you're not following God, who are you following? You're following Satan. Satan doesn't have to worry about those people who are out in the world that could care less about serving God. His concern is for those who are following God. So one of the best ways to destroy the works of Satan is to do God's will. Jesus did it. Notice what is said in Genesis 3.15. And this is the first glimpse of the Savior coming into the world. And as we are familiar with this verse, we can always look at a verse and sometimes see something a little differently than we had before. And as God is speaking to Satan because of what he had done, his part in all of that took place in the garden, our Lord says, or God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, you're not hardly ever going to get a death blow by being hit on the heel. But you can have a death blow by being hit on the head. Several people have died from head injuries. So what Satan can do is nothing to what Christ is going to do. Christ would be the victor. He would destroy Satan in his works. He would conquer Satan he would conquer sin, and he did that by dying, being buried, and raised to walk in the newness of life, coming out of that tomb. Jesus died to destroy the works of Satan. How can we help out in that? How can we help destroy the works of Satan? By following God's will. One of the best ways to do that is to obey the gospel because a person cannot please God and cannot destroy, help destroy the works of Satan before they're a Christian. I'm not saying a person can't be a good person. I'm not saying they can't go out and do a lot of good things for mankind. That's not the point. The point is obeying God. That's the best good a person can do. And by obeying God, we help destroy the works of Satan. But before a person becomes a child of God, it's a mute point. So, many people claim to be children of God, but they have not done according to the scriptures what they need to do to become a child of God. That is one of the contentions when you talk with people. Because in their minds and in their heart, they're already a child of God. Why? Because they believe something or they're involved in something already. I'm not saying they're not sincere. I'm glad people want to follow God. It would be even worse in our world today if the majority of the people, which I, when I say majority, when I say majority of people not even believing in God. Yes, the majority of the world stand outside the body of Christ, but yet a lot of those people are honest, good, sincere people who believe in God and think they're doing what's right. 
I would hate for, for it to be any less than that. I would like to see more people become members of the body of Christ, but can you imagine living? That's why we have laws. Could you imagine living in a society where there are no laws? I don't know if we'd be here tonight because we may be taking cover, shelter somewhere to be protecting ourselves from the evil that's in the world. But to destroy, to help destroy the works of Satan is to obey God. And a person that has not obeyed God in obeying the gospel is not a child of God. We're told in 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 that those who obey not the gospel, they're going to suffer eternal destruction. So God commands us to obey the gospel. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God is that very first step. And, of course, how are you going to believe Jesus is the Son of God if you have not heard? Hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized for the remission of sins is what God has commanded us to do. We can find that throughout the New Testament. If you're here tonight and you have not done that, then you need to. Because without it, you have no hope of eternal life. You stand outside the body of Christ, family of God. You're baptized into one body, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. There's one church, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. If you're here tonight and you need to respond to that, we encourage you to do that as a child of God. If you need to respond at this time, we encourage you to do that because your soul is not secure if you're in sin and living apart from God. But we pray that you'll come as we stand and sing.